Good morning. Good morning. All right. Hello, everyone. My name's Thomas, and I'm one of your pastors here at Parkview. Good to see you, all you happy faces out there. It's a lovely day, isn't it? I'm excited. Okay, great. We're going to read Acts 2 and learn together from Jesus. And so, if you've got one of those Bibles, and if you, again, if you don't have one, you can raise your hand and get one. Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 is our passage today. Uh, we're going through the whole book of Acts right now, and we're so excited to learn more about what it looked like when God was doing the mighty works he was doing in their day and what he may do with us today. So let me begin this way. It was the spring of 1976 in Los Altos, California. At 2066 Christ Avenue, there's a little garage. If you drove by today, you would say it's not a very spectacular face, place, but even when I went on there three days ago on the Zillow page to look, house, it says it's tax assessed value $150,000, but it's selling for $3.5 million. Why? Well, because back in 1976, there were two guys called Steve. Both had the name Steve, and they were tinkering around, tinkering around in that garage, and they founded a company that today is worth about $3 trillion with a T. Does anyone know what company is? It's a fruit. Apple. That's right. And so there are people who just, they flock to this house. In fact, when I went on the Zillow page, you guys know what Zillow is? It's like you look at houses. It's a thing. Anyway, it's like a realtor, but on the internet. You can look at houses. And there was even when the pictures, like the Google Street View, there's people there at the house as the car was going by taking pictures. And they just want to get close to this garage where these two guys, Steve, Steve Jobs, of course, and Steve Wozniak, who founded Apple, they sat in that garage and they sort of traded ideas and and Apple was sort of the product that came out, or the company that came out of it. But people want to see, is there a special magic to this place? What happened? Uh, you know, entrepreneurs and tech people would pay millions. They would pay any price to have been a fly on the wall in those early days of Apple computers to see, is there something to this, this movement that seems to have captured the world now? So many of us have their products in our pockets, maybe in right now. Hopefully not in front of you. Let's uh, Bible. But uh, how did it happen? Well, more people know about Jesus today, even, than we'll ever know about uh, Apple computers. So how did our great organization, so to speak, uh, the church, get its foundation? If you could be a fly on the wall, that is to say. So many people wish they could be a fly on the wall of that garage on 2066 Christ Avenue. But all those years ago, what if you could be a fly on the wall on the same event happening for the life of God's church? Well, Pentecost gives us exactly that. What if we could be a fly on the wall and see how did what we're all a part of here, or many of us, most of us are a part of here, this church, get its start? What if we could peek behind the curtain? What's, what was the magic that happened there? Or not so much magic, but simply God's supernatural intervention. In Acts 2, we have just that. So let me read it to you. Acts 2, we'll be reading verses 1 through 13. It says this, When the day of Pentecost arrived... They were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. 
And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear, each of us in his own native language, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, another, what does this mean? But others mocking said, they are filled with new wine. If I could give you one thing to go home with today, one message to hear through everything else, it would be this. Proclaim God's mighty works by the power of God's Spirit today. Proclaim God's mighty works by the power of God's Spirit today. I want to show you that from Acts 2 by answering one question three times. Why does Pentecost matter for us today? Why does Pentecost, why do the events that are recorded here from the day of Pentecost some 2,000 years ago, why do those matter for us today? I want to answer it three times. To learn this together, we need the power of the Spirit. So let's ask him, let's, let's pray together, if you would, that God would do just that. Heavenly Father, <clears throat> your law is perfect, reviving our weary souls. Some of us are weary, Lord. It's been a long week. Your testimony is sure, making wise the simple. Lord, some of us are here and we, we simply need to learn. Make us wise. Your instructions are right, rejoicing our sad hearts. Lord, we are living in a sad time. We need your joy to fill us. Rejoice our sad hearts. Your commandments are pure, enlightening our eyes. Lord, we walk around in darkness so often, but you can give us light. Give us light from your word today. Knowing you, enjoying you, and obeying you is the most profitable thing we can do today. Help us, we pray. Help us by the power of your spirit to wholeheartedly listen and obey you. Make your word work powerfully. Prevail upon us mightily today for the glory of King Jesus, we pray. Amen. Okay, our big question, why does Pentecost matter? Why does Pentecost matter? The first reason I want to give you is because it launched a new era. Why does Pentecost matter? Because it launched a new era. To understand this, we actually need to go back to Acts 1. Acts 1, that's the same page for me, maybe it is for you. Acts 1, I want you to look at uh, verses 6 through 8. It says, so when they, now when, they, when it says they, it's talking about Jesus and those who were with him at the beginning of Acts 1. Um, after he had been crucified and raised from dead after three days in the grave, he's with his people in the city of Jerusalem. It says, when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. But that first question they ask, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? 
is very much so the question that drives forward the first part of the book of Acts. What is happening? What is God doing? How is he going to accomplish the things that he has promised? Now, if you and I were hanging out with the resurrected Christ, he's about two weeks fresh off of being raised from death, uh, I don't know what kind of questions you would be asking him. I'm not sure if this one would have come to mind, but that we need to understand it. We need to understand the significance of this question. Will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Remember where they are. Where are they at as, it, as this is taking place? Jerusalem, right? Jerusalem. Now, about a month before they were asking this question, um, Jesus was answering questions uh, from the people who would then torture him and strip him and kill him on a little hill that probably they could have thrown a rock from where they were having this conversation and hit it. All that to say, it's, it's, if you're a follower of Jesus, it's a good time to skip town. Get out of there. Uh, this is not a safe place to be. Uh, it's a, probably a scary place to be. Uh, and if you're not going to skip town, you want to probably have some sort of protection or some, I don't know, you're not going to feel safe. And so when, when you come to Jesus, you might ask him something like, hey, is it time to reinstitute that whole kingdom thing that probably comes with like an army? And maybe, here's an idea, Jesus. This would be the perfect sort of um, premise for like an action movie. You know, here's Jesus who's just been killed by the Roman guard. And hey, by the way, Jesus, we know where that guy lives. What if we just all go down the street? And can you imagine the look on his face? Jesus, oh my goodness, it's you. You're back. I'm so sorry. And Jesus, we can just kind of march down the street with Jesus, and you'll be reestablishing your kingdom. And maybe, Jesus, maybe do that walk through walls thing that you showed us. I don't know. You mentioned legions of angels. Maybe you get some of the legions of angels, and we sort of do our thing here in Jerusalem. That sounds great, because I'm terrified right now. Will you, at this time, restore the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus responds, right? What does he say? He says, right, you dummies. That's, uh, that's not my plan at all. I don't like that idea. I'm never doing that. Is that what he says? No, that's not what he says. What does he say? He says, It's not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Spirit comes upon you, and then you will be my witnesses. He, he doesn't say that's the wrong question. He says, You're not asking the wrong questions. You're coming with the wrong expectations. Yes, the, the restoration of Israel is coming. Yes, all those things promised in the Old Testament that God would reestablish his people on earth, that, that we would once again have God's people in God's place living under God's rule and reign, just as he imagined it in the garden, beginning with Adam and Eve and then spreading over the whole earth that was then corrupted. God will one day restore. He began with his people Israel. And he said through this one people, this one person, Abraham, and then through the nation that would come from him, through the Exodus, through everything we've read about. Remember the book of Deuteronomy and how it moved forward and how God, won by the end of the Old Testament, it, it left us though with these questions if God's great rescue plan through history is meant to move forward through this one distinctive people, but then also it's meant to go to the ends of the earth, and that's, all, that's not a new idea. Remember at Genesis 15, if you're following with our, the Bible reading plan, you just read through Genesis 15, and he says, through you the entire earth will be blessed. It's not a new idea. It's not just a New Testament idea that God is the king of all creation, the happy king of all creation, and one day all people of all, all languages, all tribes, all people of all the earth, and we're just a tiny microscopic piece sitting in this room, will, will bow again to Jesus in glad submission in a new world that he's creating to perfect all things for all time, to put all evils to right. 
Now the question that all, all of that beautiful and wonderful story that is being told through the Old Testament and now we get to the, to the book of Acts is this. It leaves us with this question. If the plan is for God to restore this worldwide kingdom, God with his people and his place for all time in a perfected world, well, how is that going to work if it's all tied to one nation in the Middle East? Is, is how it, and especially, especially, how is it if God's presence is somehow sort of confined to one building, the temple, in one nation that's sort of guarded by that, their nationality and their culture in a way, and to become part of God's people means to change your language, change your heritage, change all those things about yourself. How is this going to work if God's presence is only accessible in one place through one particular people? Is God's presence uh, going to be sort of like a piece of art that uh, gets put on loan? You know, it's going to spend three, three months in Jerusalem. You want to go? You can go visit the, the presence of God in Jerusalem. And then we're going to ship it off to Libya and enjoy the presence of God for a few months. Libya, you can go take a peek, go do your little pilgrimage and all that. Then we'll ship it over to America. Wow, we get, maybe we get a couple months out of it. Then we'll ship it down to South America and that'll sort of be like a piece of art or something like that. Well, the answer to that and so many other questions is answered in the events of Pentecost. As with so many other times in the Old Testament, fire Fire is the indicator of God's presence. Just as it was, remember, uh, we were reading the book of Deuteronomy just, just a few months ago. We were going through that. And, and God led his people. Remember in the book of Exodus, God led his people through a pillar of fire. Fire by day and cloud by night. And this fire rests on one of them? No. Does it rest on the most spiritual one among them? The leader? Just on Peter? The apostle Peter? The big star? No, it falls on all of them. What is happening? God's spirit is being poured out on all people. You see that there in verses 3 and 4, don't you? Divided tongues. You know, the sound fills the whole room, and yet the tongues fall on each of them, appear to them, and rests on each one of them. They were all filled with God's Holy Spirit, begin to speak in other tongues. No longer will it just be the temple in Israel where people can go and see and hear of God's presence. God's temple is brand new. God's temple is you. God's temple is us. God, by his spirit, will no longer be confined to one building with all of its special, completely holy, separate categories and people and clothing and objects. God's people will be the special dwelling place of God by his spirit. This is a completely new era. No longer will we be tied to one nation and one destination, one pilgrimage three times a year. No, God's spirit will truly be poured out on all people. This is t brand new. This is a new era. This is like nothing we've ever seen before. And yet, it's not new. It's just one chapter, a new distinctive chapter, not a new story, but a new chapter in what God has been doing from the beginning. Bringing his people into his presence, no longer in one specific location, but wherever God's spirit dwells, each of us. He's making all things new, and this is the next chapter. We're part of it. So, what should we do with that knowledge? That we're part of this new era of the Spirit. No longer, you don't have to travel thousands of miles to go be part of God's presence in the temple. The sacrifice has already been made of Christ. He has sent his Spirit to dwell with us, not in one place in a temple. The temple has been torn open. We just sang about that. The veil has been torn. We come into his presence. You know what we should do? Well, first of all, we should know our Old Testament. We should really know it. Because this is the story that we're part of. Jesus was a student of his Old Testament. And we should be too. 
if we really want to be whole, well-rounded followers of Jesus, uh, we're going to understand his words better. We're going to understand the book of Acts in particular. Oh my goodness, yes. If you want to understand the book of Acts, you must understand the Old Testament because they're obsessed with it. In fact, you read that, that, that question that the crowd asks at the end. They're all amazed and perplexed, verse 12 says, saying to one another, what does this mean? What does this mean? This great event, this great miracle that we've just seen, what does it mean? Well, Peter's going to answer next week. Come back next week for more. Uh, in verse 14, he's going to give this speech. And his speech is basically, well, if you understood your Old Testament, you wouldn't be surprised at all. So we should too. We should too. So why does Pentecost matter? Because it launched a new era in the history of God's people. A new era. And it's our era. The era of the Spirit. God's Spirit dwelling in us, His people. <clears throat> the second reason why Pentecost matters is because it gave us a new power. Because it provided, I should say, it provided a new power. It matters because it provided a new power. God's Spirit, of course, just like I said, God, the temple, now, us, wow. Meditate on that for the next 60 days. You won't get to the end of it. It's mind-blowing, especially if you understand the Old Testament and the significance of that. Um, I mean, just think of it. Think of the book of Leviticus. I, we just read through it in the Bible reading plan. I just, maybe you feel like it's a total slog, but here's what it is. You read through that book, and every little tiny, the, the microscopic level of detail to what must be done to be in the presence of a holy God. Now in you. Okay? It's a miracle. Okay, so new era, but now new power. It's a new power. Of course, it's not just about intimacy with the Lord. Of course, that's incredible. We don't have to go to a place to be with God. He, he comes and dwells with us. But he also gives us power. We have power through that. Verse 4 says this. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. As the Spirit gave them utterance. The Spirit comes... Of course, there's a loud noise, there's tongues of fire, and then his power is manifested through this. He fills them with power to be able to speak in tongues, in languages, that is to say, that they did not know. Now, you may be thinking, why this? <laughs> it's the right question, I think. Why tongues? Why? Why? <laughs> he could have, I mean, God invented ants and anteaters and grass and nitrogen. He could have done anything here. He could have made them all nine feet tall. The power of the, the spirit file, and then whoo, they're all nine feet tall. Unmistakable. Presence of God. No one could ever doubt. What, how else would you explain 120 people now nine feet tall? The Lord is really among us. I don't know. He could have made them all have great smell like freshly baked bread. I don't know. They just they walk down the street. You go, I smell it. What's going on? I don't know. He could have done anything. He could have made them all supernaturally strong. It, I don't know. So why, why other languages? Why? Did you ever think about that? Instead, he, he just has them speak in language. And by the way, you know, read this carefully because the way that Luke portrays this is not as if they're sort of in a trance. Yo tengo, what, you know, no. It's not as if they're sort of in an ecstatic, running around being crazy sort of thing. It's just that they were simply talking and then sie wurden auf Deutsch sprechen. Sie wurden auf Deutsch sprechen und sie wissen nicht, wie es hätte passiert. Aber de repente sabían hablar español. Y sie, ellos dijeron, Dios es grande. Dios es grande. 
grande es Dios. Jesús es el único rey verdadero. ¿Lo conoces? Jesus had told these very men and women that they would be his witnesses. To where? To the end of the earth. They don't speak Hebrew there. And that was all they knew. Growing up in Galilee, you don't, you don't learn Phrygian or whatever. I don't know what language they speak and uh, I can barely say it. I can barely say the name. They would, if they were going to do the mission that God had called them to, to, to bear witness to, especially to the resurrection, but really to, to the fact that this, God's people, were the culmination of God's plan from the beginning of all creation, what Peter's going to talk about in chapter 2 here in his speech next week, if they were actually going to do that, it, to be witnesses, you know what a witness is? They say what happened. <laughs> Hopefully in a language you understand, right? How else are you going to bear witness They were going to need, and if, I mean, can you imagine you're sitting in Jerusalem, you're scared to death, you're just sitting there up in that room, you're praying with a hundred people, and what are you thinking? How are we going to be his witnesses to the end of the earth? And then, at about 8 a.m., on just a, a quiet day in Jerusalem, you hear a noise, like a train coming. And God's spirit fell and gave a resounding answer to their core hesitation, their core predicament, their core uh, barrier, at least in their minds, I'm sure. And as you read the text, it seems like that would make sense. How are we going to actually bear witness in a language you don't know? We don't even know the language. We're going to need cultural knowledge. We're going to need education. We're going to need, I don't know what we need, but we don't have it. And God's spirit fell as if to say, I got you. I got you. And, and can't you imagine? I mean, re, you read through the book of Acts and you realize not knowing other languages was kind of the least of what they were going to have to deal with, actually. God's, God's spirit, they, and then they carried this memory with them for years and years of the moment when at, at their, probably their greatest moment of sort of terror and awe of the task that stood in front of them, God provided in that way. The point of these supernatural language abilities, you know, is not just, it's not just to sort of show off, it's not to be, do some kind of strange thing, it's to demonstrate both to them and to all those who were there that God's power is present by his spirit in everyone who believes in him to accomplish God's mission today. It does not matter what the hindrance is in your mind or in, in the cultural situation, the situation that you're dealing with, God's power is present to move his mission forward. If he can make them speak Phrygian or whatever it was, Greek, what can he not do today? And so this was, and they were, they were yearning for power, and God provided. Uh, the U.S. Navy in 1955, they commissioned uh, a new vessel, the USS Nautilus. The USS Nautilus, it was an innovative boat. It was a submarine. Uh, that wasn't really new, but what was unique about it was the way that it made power. Up until that point, every single vessel, every single submarine that was really out there, pretty much, um, was run by diesel. You have diesel engines down in the hold or whatever, engine room. And they would power up some batteries, and then the batteries would run everything in the ship, even up till then, you know, World War I. 
diesel engines in your submarine. But the Nautilus was special because it was the first boat, the first submarine ever to be powered by a nuclear reactor. Okay, so down in the hold, a nuclear reactor. So if you had a diesel engine on your ship, what do you, what do you need to run an internal combustion engine? Fuel, which means you're going back to land pretty frequently, and it's heavy, and air. air. That's the biggest problem, because if you're gonna be, you know what's not underwater? Air, and you know who, else, who, you know who needs the air? The human beings in your <laughs> submarine. So putting a, putting a nuclear reactor in your submarine was genius because now you have all the power you need on board. And you know how often you have to refuel it? Every 20 years. It's probably twice in the lifetime of that entire boat. It was absolutely revolutionary to not have to be connected to one place, to one person, to dock, and you could go on your mission as long as you needed because you had an internal source of power. When God's spirit fell on his people at Pentecost, boy, Let's remember, the Holy Spirit is the one. Remember in the beginning, what was, what was hovering over the face of the waters? God's Spirit. God's Spirit is the one who said, let's make a star, and stars existed. A nuclear power plant is basically the tiny, itty-bitty submarine toy version of that. So here's the power of 10 million stars and galaxies called into existence, dwelling in each of us today. So when you read that it made them speak in different languages, don't you kind of go, oh, that's it? <laughs> that's it? We're speaking in different languages? He can do anything he wants. He can do anything he wants. This power is now available to his people. Of course, let me correct my, let me correct my illustration, though. Because God's spirit is not like a nuclear reactor. You don't turn on and off the spirit. You don't, God's power is present through his own person. The Spirit is not an it. The Spirit is a he, the Bible tells us. He can be, he can, read the book of Acts. What happens in, in chapter 5? The Spirit is enraged. The Spirit has been lied to. The Spirit can be grieved. The, the Spirit can be pleased. Remember in Acts 15 when the church gets together and they're talking about the Gentiles and how are we going to have the Gentiles be part of this plan that God is, is the story that God is telling through the gospel through his people. And do you remember what they said? said, it seemed good to us and to the Holy Spirit. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit. That's, that's not how you talk about a nuclear reactor, is it? You don't talk that way about your lawnmower. <laughs> God is a person. God dwells in us personally by his Spirit. And through his Spirit, through his personal Holy Spirit, this power is available to us, in us, through us, to transform us, to change us. You are not on your own as you seek to become more faithful in your following of Jesus. He has given you everything you need. He has given you the power of his Holy Spirit, the same one that created oxygen. That apart from whom, we would all just cease to exist. He exists in you. What could not be possible for us? We must know him. We must pray to him. We must, he's worthy of worship, do you know? We must proclaim God's mighty works by the power of God's spirit. And Pentecost reminds us and proves to us that God has provided a new power to us, in us, to do what God wants, to, to move his mission forward in particular. Lastly, Pentecost matters for us today because it sets a new pattern. 
So we began by saying uh, it tells us about a new era in God's mission, that era of the Spirit gives us a new power, God's Spirit, God's power in us through the Spirit. But now we see it also provides a new pattern, a pattern for us to follow today. Take a look with me at verse 11. So we have that big, long list. Do you ever think about, man, that's a long list, isn't it? It's something to think about. Maybe you talk about that in your community group. I don't know. Uh, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, is all the people at the end of that list. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. How does God's mission move forward? Well, when we remember in the Old Testament, how did God's mission move forward, for instance, in the book of uh, Joshua? At the edge of the sword, right? God's mission was to give his people the promised land, and they needed to have courage, and they sent spies, and, and they would go, and they would take the land, right? At different times and in different places, God's mission moved forward in different ways, and there were different things that God's people needed to do. Sometimes it was military, it was national, it had to do with it. But now, in Acts 2, it sets for us a new pattern. This is followed throughout the book of Acts, and it carries all the way to us today. We're just the next chapter in the book of Acts. Uh, that is this. Here's what it says, and here's how I would summarize it to you. I just showed you in verse 11. That God's people proclaim God's mighty deeds by the power of God's Holy Spirit. From 120 shaking, scared, terrified people in a room praying and not quite sure what to do to us and some billions of people in between the unbroken chain of Christ's reign on earth and one day his inevitable return is marked how? By government conquest? By power and strength and might? Here's how. Here's the secret. This is the, the worst kept secret of all. If you want to see that same thing happen that happened then today, here's what we do. Open our mouths and speak words about who God is to one another and to a watching world. Now take note, does, if this is, really, this is, I think, the pattern, is their response, is the response that they receive unconditionally positive? Mm-mm. It's not. It's mixed. And that's what we should expect too. But the pattern is the same. What do we do? Open our mouths and by God's Holy Spirit proclaim God's mighty works. That doesn't just mean say a nice thing he did. It means everything about his character, about the world he has made, who is this God that we serve? We open our mouth, and of course, all the way up, share with them the entire good news of all that God has done from beginning to end through his creation that he'll one day consummate in a new heavens and new earth. We can tell them all of that, or the smallest thing, but God's, God's mission on earth to bring this world to a happy ending in Christ is for simple people like you and me to open our mouths, relying on God's spirit, and speak words about who God is to one another and to the watching world. So here's my challenge for us today. What's stopping us? What is stopping us from being part of this great work that God started and that God will bring to a conclusion? Maybe in our days. Who knows? Well, this is my challenge. You know, 120 years ago, we did, or sorry, 2,000 years ago, those 120 sat in that room scared and intimidated because they didn't have the language skills, certainly. They didn't know, how, what are, how am I going to actually do it? How am I going to have the power to do it? How am I going to have the skills to do it? And God met them by his spirit in that moment in a special way, of course, in an unrepeatable way, but the manifestation of it proved to them 
that he would be with them to under, overcome any hindrance in their hearts or in their world to making God's words known throughout his world. So that's my question for you. What's, what hindrance do you feel in your heart or in your environment, in your workplace, wherever it might be, in your family, whatever, to doing just this, to making disciples? This is our mission, to be a whole church forming whole disciples, well-rounded. Jesus said, teach them to obey some of what I commanded you, No, all of what I've commanded you, well-rounded in our following of Jesus. What hindrance do you need God's Spirit to overcome, either in you or out in this world, to obey this today? Let me remind you what I mean when I say make disciples. Just make sure we're on the same page. When a fellow community group member shares with you a struggle, you pray with them in that moment, but then later you're you're reading your Bible just on your own, and some of the words that you read come to mind, and their, their face comes to mind, and you think, you know what? Bill really needs to hear this. And you text Bill. Bill, I was just encouraged by this. Here, let me, I just want to type this out to you. Genesis 29 says X, Y, Z. What are you doing? You're making disciples. You're encouraging them to take the next small step to encourage them, to assure them, to spur them on. When a coworker asks you how you're doing, and instead of giving sort of the boilerplate, I'm fine, answer, You decide in that moment, maybe you're prompted by God's spirit, maybe not, I don't know. You take the bold risk to share that, you know, I'm having some challenges, but I feel confident, I feel assured because I know that uh, I'm really comforted by my faith in the Lord. I know he'll take care of me. Speaking words about who God is, proclaiming God's mighty deeds through the power of the Holy Spirit, you're making disciples. Wouldn't it be so much easier when your kid does something crazy uh, to say, get out of here, go to time out, or go get out of here, you're grounded, But instead, you take the time to say, here's why we don't do things like that. God created you in his image, and here's some of what, and you begin to sort of unpack with them in an appropriate way, of course, with a three-year-old, it's different from a 15-year-old, of course, um, why you shouldn't hit your brother. I'm speaking from experience here (laughs) this week. (laughs) Um, What are you doing? You're proclaiming God's mighty deeds and his character to those around you by the power of his Holy Spirit. What hindrance... Do you need God's spirit to overcome in your heart or in your world to obey this command today? Maybe, maybe you need greater knowledge. That's possible. Maybe, uh, you know, it's hard. It's hard to share what you don't know very well. Um, You can share what you know, but of course, you'd always like to have a few more things to share. Uh, Our word, of course, it's a double-edged sword, the book of Hebrews says. It's able to cut through joint and marrow. It It can lay bare the secrets of the heart. It's what does the work for us, really, in the end. It's God's Spirit applying God's Word to our hearts. That's how we actually grow. Maybe it's become a little dull for you. Maybe you just, it's hard to bring things to mind. Study your word. Treat it like a warrior treats his weapon. Always sharpen at the ready, okay? Get it ready for you. You never know when the occasion will call for it. Uh, Maybe you feel just kind of a lack of motivation. If you're really honest in your heart, think, I just, I don't know if I feel the, all that spurred on to take on what God has called me to here. Well, God, here's some good news. God is happy to meet you in that too. God's spirit can fill you with motivation, with love for your neighbor, with love for your kids, with love for your literal neighbor, for love for your coworkers, even the ones who aren't that nice to you, to love them enough to share God's word with them. Maybe you're afraid. <laughs> Let's be honest. It's, it's not easy, I'm sure, just like those disciples. That was part of what God was doing in assuring them by his spirit in this way was filling them with courage. Maybe you need God to give you courage to take a bold risk. Church, 
Pentecost, it happened 2,000 years ago. It's one of those unrepeatable events in the past. It happened. A totally unique, era-defining, new era beginning. And yet Pentecost, in a certain sense, the pattern of Pentecost can always happen. The pattern of Pentecost is what moves us forward. If we can move forward in the power of God's Spirit to open our mouths, by the way, that's how we all got here, right? Someone else opened their mouths and spoke words about Christ to us, right? And yet Pentecost can always happen because of this pattern. Us relying on God's Spirit, we can speak words about who God is to those around us and move God's cosmic rescue plan forward by the power of His Spirit toward its inevitable completion. So let's do that together. Let's commit to to one another uh, to grow in this way and ask God now, let's ask God to make us this kind of people, an Acts 2 kind of people. Let's do it. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for the gift of your spirit poured out on all of us who know Christ as Lord. Help us to honor your spirit, delight in your spirit, enjoy you, worship you. Help us to be receptive to your spirit. We know your spirit loves to point us to the finished work of Jesus. We know your spirit, Romans 5 says, your spirit pours the love of the Father into our hearts. We know from Acts 2 that your spirit will fill us with courage and with everything we need practically and sort of spiritually, personally, emotionally that we need to move your mission forward, to be a whole church forming whole disciples of Jesus. Fill us with that kind of courage. Develop our relationship with you, Lord. We come to you knowing, Lord, there's, there's no deficiency on your end in our relationship with your spirit. It's, it's all us. So help us be, help us come to you more regularly. Help us acknowledge you more personally. Help us commune with you more authentically. And fill us with courage like you did all those years ago to speak of your wonderful deeds to all who hear for the glory of King Jesus, our mighty, mighty, precious King. We pray in his name. Amen. Well, now we're going to celebrate. It's so fitting for us as we're thinking about the church gathered together. Uh, Would someone mind bringing me one of those little cups? I think there's one in my seat there. I forgot it. Thanks. Um, As we celebrate uh, the gift of the Spirit coming, thank you. One of the most wonderful things that the Spirit does is he connects us to Jesus by faith. Um, All of Jesus' wonderful works in his perfect life, death, and resurrection are wonderful, but without the Spirit, they don't count to us. They aren't connected to us. God's Spirit connects us to the finished work of Christ so that when we appear before him by the power of the Spirit, the Spirit sort of wraps us up in his righteousness so that when the Father sees us, he sees Christ's perfection and not our mess. And he gives us this meal to commune with him, to enjoy him, to celebrate him and all that he's done. So let's do that now, enjoying the communion we have with the Son by the power of the Spirit. I'll read from 1 Corinthians 11 where Paul teaches the church how to do that.